0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. For the better part of the last decade, science fiction finally evolved from a niche genre into a mainstream staple. And while many people are familiar with the so-called fathers and grandfathers of genre, the women who have been instrumental in creating and shaping the nerdverse have largely gone unrecognized. Until today. I'm Courtney Enloe, and this is Sci-Fi Wire Fangirls Forgotten Women of Genre, a podcast where we tell the stories of the women who helped some of the most famous fantasy worlds become a reality. A woman on a horse comes barreling down a road until she's even with a man driving alongside her. She jumps from the horse to the car, throws the man out, and ends up behind the wheel. The car comes to a stop on a bridge. A train speeds along its tracks underneath. The woman jumps from the car onto the moving train, rolls, and then regains her footing. <gasps> Woman on the Horse was silent movie star, stunt woman, and all-around badass Helen Gibson. While today we associate stunt work with the adventurous vehicles of the Avengers, the Fast and the Furious, and Tom Cruise in general, the early 20th century saw most of its action stars in the Wild West. Gibson is widely understood to be the first American woman to undertake the stunt and action star professions, playing a part in movies like The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, and Bride of Frankenstein, paving the way for female stunt performers of today from the MCU to the Mission Impossible franchise, or, you know, all of Wonder Woman. In 1892, in Cleveland, Ohio, Fred and Annie Wegner welcomed baby Rose August Wegner, later to become Helen Gibson, into their home. She was one of five daughters born to the Swiss-German couple. According to Molly Gregory in her book, Stunt Women, The Untold Hollywood Story, Rose's father pushed her into more traditionally masculine interests. Today, we would just call these interests. And in 1909, when she and a friend went to a Wild West show, Wegner came out and raptured. In Ponca City, Oklahoma, she found her chance to be a rider. The Miller Brothers Ranch was looking for girls who wanted to ride horses. And when Wagner was 18, in 1910, she learned writing and tricks, including picking up a handkerchief from the back of a horse while mid-gallop, which gives me serious Sheriff of Rottingham vibes, and so she became part of the Miller Brothers Rodeo that toured across the country. Because these rodeos ran spring to fall, and because the Miller Brothers Rodeo ended its season in Venice, California, starting in 1911, Rose was able to get work in the relatively new film industry. Her first listed film role is a short called Ranch Girls on a Rampage from 1912. Rose was one of five ranch girls who are in Venice for a day of fun and capers. Unfortunately, and of course, a bunch of women having fun and doing dangerous tricks couldn't be the moral of the story, and so at the end, they have to make a getaway as two policemen try to stop them. Boo! As a testament to Rose's talent, She earned $15 a week as a regular on pictures by the Callum Company, then considered to be a big salary for a beginner. She was a winner, baby. While she was working as a contracted actor and writer for TKC, she continued to run rodeos in the LA area. It was here in 1913 that she met Hoot Gibson, a rising star in his own right. Hoot Gibson. I just wanted to say his name one more time. Hoot Gibson. Hmm. Hoot and Rose started working rodeos together and taking home prizes. At one such rodeo, the Pendleton Rodeo, there was a shortage of hotel rooms. At the time, married couples were given preference when it came to who was served first. And so Rose said, we decided to get married. I mean, there are worse reasons. Honestly, if the choice was between sleeping outside with the horses or in a bed, I'd get married too. And that's when Rose Wagner became Rose Gibson. The Hazards of Helen was a serialized set of short, silent, action-adventure films created by the Callum Company in 1914. It was loosely based on a novel and a play and adapted by W. Scott Darling for the screen. There are 119 episodes of the serial film, the first 26 of which starred a woman named Helen Holmes. While the studio hunted for a new Helen, an actress named Elsie McLeod filled in. Finally, the Callum Company remembered Rose. They changed her name, and Rose Gibson became Helen Gibson. That's right. Back then, a film studio could make you change your name. I guess it's not as bad as your publicist telling you to go on a date with a Kardashian, but it's still not great. The Hazards of Helen episodes were ostensibly about a woman named Helen who often found herself in dramatic situations like chasing bad guys, saving damsels in distress, and the like. The character was smart and savvy, and the women playing her often did their own stunts. During the filming of Hazards, Gibson jumped off trains and roofs or sped around dangerous curves, whether by car or horse. The series was one of the first popular and regularly shot reels that allowed a woman to be the hero of her own story. It's bananas that this was happening in 1915, and we still didn't get Wonder Woman until 2017. Hazards made Gibson a star. The producers at Callum were more than happy with her work. She was a strong actress and a fantastic stuntwoman. In an image from the set in 1916, you can see Helen hanging, fists tight around a rope, with her legs just coming down around a horse. She stayed in the role for 69 episodes, nice, and two years until 1917. Once the long-running series ended, Callum produced a new serialized film series with their star, The Daughter of Daring. Daughter and Hazard's included some of Gibson's most spectacular stunts to date, including chasing a runaway locomotive while on motorcycle. In a 1917 advertisement for The Daughter of Daring in Moving Picture World, you can see Gibson hanging from the rafters of a bridge over a steaming train. It looks terrifying, and listeners should 100% Google that shit. Stunts at this time of filmmaking aren't like the ones we know today. Those are tested over and over again by stunt coordinators and the safety of harnesses and foam covered floors. In early Hollywood, stunts were often thought of on the spot, and then you just tried it. It was wildly dangerous, but Gibson had a knack that her producers appreciated. I'm guessing we don't remember the people who didn't have a knack for it because their stunts probably didn't work out. Yikes. Unfortunately, by the time The Daughter of Daring was going into production, Callum found itself in financial decline and they sold the film to another company. There would be no more weekly contracts with Callum, and so Gibson would have to find work elsewhere. Now, where's Hoot been in all of this while his wife has been becoming a national movie star? Hoot joined the armed forces, as there was a little thing called World War I going on at the time. But he was back stateside in 1918 to walk back into his famous wife's arms. Unfortunately, he wasn't ready to be with a woman so strong in her field, and the couple's marriage fell apart. A 1920 census shows that the two of them were living separately. Hoot was listed as married, but Helen listed her status as widowed, which is honestly the funniest thing I've ever heard. After her work with the Callum Company wrapped, Universal stepped in and offered Helen a three-year contract for $125 a week to act in two and five real films. She wrapped those and in the winter of 1919, made the ill-fated decision to sign on with Capital Films only to see it go under just six months later. Gibson was not finding a lot of luck. The film industry was rapidly changing as men realized the potential for profit and women were getting pushed out. Wow, where have I heard this story before? By the time Capital Films went under, Helen had started her own production company. She ran out of money making her first film, No Man's Woman, in 1921, and had to go into debt to finish it. The film was about a kind-hearted dance hall hostess rescuing a child. It was eventually sold to another distribution company and released with a new name, Nine Points of the Law. Personally, I'd watch a woman called No Man's Woman in 2019, thank you very much. Luckily, in March 1921, Gibson was hired to play a lead in a movie called The Wolverine not to be confused with Wolverine. As much as I would like to say she was the Hugh Jackman of her time, she was definitely way tougher than Hugh Jackman. In The Wolverine, she played the owner of a ranch from which the movie got its name, hiring on an ex-con who had just been released from prison for a crime he didn't commit. The production company was very pleased with Gibson's performance and offered her $450 a week to be on their payroll. Unfortunately, Gibson's appendix burst before her second film and she was replaced. For six years after a second hospitalization, Gibson took a break from Hollywood and went back to riding in rodeos. She even got a job writing for the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus Wild Wild West show. She needed a break from an industry that was sprouting up and folding production houses faster than anyone could keep up with and an industry that men had decided was now worth their time. Yawn. But in 1927, Gibson returned to the silver screen as a stunt double. She worked hard doubling for actresses such as Marie Dressler and Ethel Barrymore. She worked for the next 30 years in whatever parts she could get her hands on. Stunt doubling, character work. Gibson said screen acting was a matter of guts. You can look back at her history and her work, and see, she exemplified guts. She went on to be in over 40 movies, including The Bride of Frankenstein. Helen Gibson was in almost 200 films during her career as an actress, many of which have been lost to time. She paved the way for the stunt woman we know now, like Death Proof's Zoe Bell or Samantha Joe in Wonder Woman. But because of Helen's tenacity and her brilliance and her decision to kick ass her whole life, we remember her name, and we thank her for her influence on the entire industry. Cheers to you, Helen. Yeehaw. Forgotten Women of Genre is a production of Sci-Fi Wire Fangirls. Today's episode was written by Preeti Chibber, read by Courtney Enloe, and produced by Cher Martinetti. You can find the script of this episode and so much more at sci Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sci-Fi Fangirls.